this? Did you want to stand? No, this is fine. Yeah, thanks. Well, good morning. Oh, come on. You should be awake by now. Good morning. There you go. It's been awesome to worship with you. I know I'm really fortunate as I get to travel a fair bit across Canada. I get to worship with people, you know, all across this great country. And um, I don't have to wait till glory, you know, to meet many of you. I get to have a part in your guys' lives now. So it's a thrill. Uh, what a thrill to, to meet your pastor yesterday. You know, I hold on to him. In this day and age, to have, to have a pastor who loves his sheep and loves Jesus, it's a gift. Um, praise God for that. And, man, what a... What a the, Creston's like, a, this is a historic moment for me. I've never been in Creston before. It's like the, it's like the best kept secret or something. You know, what a beautiful, what a beautiful part of, of God's world. So anyway, it is a thrill to be with you this morning. You can actually see my family there on the screen. I, I do talk fast, just so you know. I'm not speaking in tongues. It is English. But the, the, the more I get excited about missions. You know, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The closer you get to him, the more intensely missionary you must become. And, you know, it's also been my whole life. I'm a little bit mixed up. My family's from England. My parents are British. My family's all British. I was born in Australia, so by birth I'm Australian. I grew up in Papua New Guinea in the South Pacific with people who used to be cannibals. I'm not a cannibal. You're good. Um, I went to an American boarding school, so my education is American. But I finished well. I married a Canadian. And I praise God for her. You can see my wife, Tammy, there, and I three, our three children, Cassandra, Cody, and Carly. Uh, we live at, in Hamilton, Ontario, so we've come a long way this weekend, and just wonderful to be with you. We're on our way to Victoria after this for a missions forum there, and then back to Calgary, and then uh, on to, um, to, to speak there, and then back to uh, Hamilton, Ontario. So it's a delight to be with you. I know there's been some connections over the years with New Tries Mission, but what I want to do this morning is I want to take you on a journey, kind of a long part of my journey, and by doing that, share the broader perspective of what God is doing and what New, New Tries Mission's specific role. But I couldn't help it, you know, I was kind of lurking your pastor. Somebody was talking about stalking this new pastor who's coming. I was kind of lurking your pastor. You know, the web is a cool thing. I was actually able to go online and listen to his message from last week and hear about the whole community Bible experience you guys are going through that's awesome. And if you don't avail yourself of the website, you don't have to ever miss a sermon. You can go there. But I couldn't help but be gripped by the fact that as he was preaching about generous giving, and I hope you remember the message. Yes. Okay. And just how much that relates to missions. In fact, our whole lives. I mean, listen to these points. Um, I kept thinking he had like nine points. And I kept thinking he's already got nine points. And I kept waiting for the next one. It was good, too. And then how can he have another good one and another good one? Anyway, generous givers, they, they find it an honor to get in what, in what Jesus is doing. They find it an honor to get in what Jesus is doing. That relates totally to missions. What an honor to get in what he is doing. They see resources as what God has entrusted to them to maximize impact. The resources aren't for us just to have a nice, blessed life, but to maximize our impact. Missions. Giving should flow from worship. That's the only correct order of things. Amen. In fact, it becomes a burden when it's not inspired by worship. Generous givers see giving as an imitation of Christ. God so loved the world that he gave the greatest expression of love is in that giving i mean this is no hardship folks it's a privilege that we have um it's an expression of sincere love and then he quotes this can we really say we have a concern for unreached people if we never put boots on the ground and give that's your pastor that's not me blame him um and so i want to talk with you about missions you know as i think about generous giving there is a natural connection with how we spend our resources and how we spend our time Think about it. You change how you spend your time, you also change how you spend your resources. You can use money to make more money, 
And you can save money to make more, but try and save your time. You can only spend it. And how we spend our days is how we're spending our weeks, is how we are spending our lives. And we can never get it back. It is only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And yet, how do we spend our time? So often we are consumed with so many things that really have no kingdom value. I guarantee, brothers and sisters, you start looking at how you spend your time, it will naturally affect how you spend your resources. Examine how much of what I'm living for now is truly going to last. How much of what I'm living for is going to make an impact on eternity. I want to share a bit of my story and, like I said, help you enter into a bit of a broader perspective of what God is doing. I grew up in Papua New Guinea, like I said, a land above Australia, below in Indonesia, a beautiful land. Uh, we lived in the mountains. My parents went there in 1974. You can see our home through the uh, trees there. Uh, there's a small village, and that's where my parents built their Brit base amongst the dome people. You see in the mountains of Papua New Guinea, this doesn't want to click now. What's that? Up there? No, this is the power point. Can you click forward for me? There you go. In the mountains of Papua New Guinea live the dome people. There's 800 different people groups in the land of Papua New Guinea. Across the Wagi River is the Sina Sina people. In fact, the trade language is the only way they can communicate. And so the word for friend is one talk. You one talk belong me. One talk, you speak the same language, you're a friend. You don't speak the same language, you're not a friend, you're an enemy. It's as simple as that. And so my parents grew up, worked in the dome side of, the, of those mountains amongst the dome people. You can see kind of just the, the diversity of the people groups, all very fierce looking but loved by God. But each one of these tribes would never hear about Jesus unless missionaries, many of them with New Tribes Mission, would go and learn their language, learn their culture, live amongst them one day so they could read the word of God for themselves and a church could be established just like this one. And so you'll see the uh, Sarrow Mudmen, known for their mud masks, the Huli Wigmen, known for their wigs, our people known for their long tail feathers of the bird of paradise. Like I said, all these people groups spread across the island of Papua New Guinea. I might have to get you to click through this for me and just make it, this is supposed to make it smooth. It's not. Um, see those four little boys there? We're the white ones, by the way. Um, uh, my twin brother and I, my twin brother Gary, he's now a pilot for the Emirates. Since the time we were little boys flying across the mountains to school, he wanted to be a pilot. And now he flies for the Emirates out of Dubai. But this is growing up amongst the dome people. And then uh, if you can move forward here. I'll just have you do this. You can see us, our mission school, flying in that small plane with our sister Carol over the mountains. And, uh, but while we were living at school, my parents were back in the tribe. If you click the next slide, you'll see my mother there waiting anxiously by the radio. We didn't have cell phones, of course, in those days. You couldn't just text your mom and say, how's it going? You know, we had one spot once a week, a 15-minute radio spot, one channel for all the missionaries. Anybody could listen in. And then with 15 minutes, I got five, my sister got five, my brother got five. In between the overs and the of the radio, you got about two and a half minutes. And that's all you got. If the weather was bad, you couldn't hear each other. But that was life for us. And so um, my, my parents were there working in the tribe. My father, learning how these people think, their worldview, what makes them tick. You see, they're animus. They worship the spirits, the spirits of their ancestors. They live in perpetual fear. Everything is about trying to appease the spirits, offering sacrifices so their gardens will grow and their kids will grow healthy, living in total fear and bondage by Satan. And so as my father was learning the language, you'll see in the next slide that uh, the people... Um, Here's an, a picture of how, from the outset, you might think, oh, what a nice parade. They're blowing their flutes and must be some kind of ceremony. But honestly, what they're doing here is they're inviting all the spirits from all the garden around to come and bless a wedding, living in fear, 
So all that, all that blowing of the flutes is simply to try and appease the spirits to make them happy. Go to the next slide. You'll see that um, my father is working with Kelbia. You'll see his, this man again. His, he's 15 years old in this picture. Take note of him because you'll see him in a minute. So about in, in the early 70s, my dad began to write down the very first words of the Dome language and the scriptures. He had to create an alphabet for the people in order to teach them how to read and write. And so my mother is there teaching them literacy so that one day they can read the word of God for themselves. In the next slide, you'll see my father teaching from creation to Christ. You can't just go in and begin to teach John 3.16 for God so loved the world. Well, who's God? There's no word for God in their language. In fact, there's no word for God, mercy, forgiveness, grace, these hard concepts. How do you even begin to impart those truths? In fact, you can create confusion if you were to try and do that. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. After a few months, they might actually think God's married. Well, why? Well, you told them he was. You can't have a son if you're not married, right? And so you have to, in order, you've got to teach from creation to Christ to lay the foundation of who God is in the beginning God. So our missionaries create long strings of beads, of thousands of beads, and so that they can say, how far back can you remember? Well, well one year ago was this, and they might get back 200 years as they, if they talk about what their grandfather told them or their great-grandfather. But you show them this long string of thousands of beads. I want to tell you about what happened right here in the very beginning, in the beginning God. And he laid the foundation for these tribal people. And you can see them following along with all the key redemptive stories through the scriptures. The need for a blood sacrifice. So that one day when you get to the the presentation of John the Baptist who said, you know, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They're like, could this be the one? Is he the Lamb we've been waiting for? Their sin debt is already getting heavy on them. And they're ready to embrace Jesus when they see his death, burial, and resurrection. It's an amazing time. And you'll see that in the next slide. A church is born. The very church in the history of the world amongst the Dome people. The next slide, you'll see my brother and I, 16 years old, being baptized in a mountain stream amongst our people. And that was to be the last time that I would see many of them until last year. If you go to the next slide, you'll see that my daughter and I, we had the incredible privilege, our co-workers who had joined my parents and continued on the work these last 30 years. They were in the state. They had just printed the scriptures. And they said, Martin, we can't get back right now. The scriptures are ready. Would you like to take them back? I had the privilege of taking the very first Dome Bibles into the people that I grew up with, my daughter along with me. What a thrill. This next picture you'll see, Kabia. Remember that man there? 40 years ago at 15, writing down the very first words, believing by faith that one day he'd have the scriptures. Now look at this next slide and you'll see there we were in his jungle hut, reading late into the night with tears of joy, streaming down his face. He said, now God speaks my language. He had waited 40 years of what you and I hold so often complacently in our hands. He had waited 40 years for this. In fact, now the word has come there. Other people are saying, well, we haven't got God's word. This isn't fair. Can you come teach us? And that's beginning to create some excitement. And so this, just a, a month or so ago, Next slide you'll see. In August 2016, we had a massive dedication. I took the whole family back with me, and my wife and other, my two other kids got to come. There you see about a 1,000 people from the Dome and the Sina Sina Church and the Elambari Church and the Kuman Church, representatives from other tribes, also came. As, as you see, this ceremony took place uh, to dedicate the scriptures in the Dome language. In the next picture you'll see my father from England who began the work. Uh, now, of course, in his old age, but able to speak to the crowd, um, thanking God for what he'd done. You'll see Kavya there as well, uh, proclaiming God's goodness, uh, bringing the word of God to them. And then one last picture here, you'll see my wife there and our, our family. And Morey John, I mean, this man probably, I, he carried me on his shoulders when I was a little boy, you know, throughout the mountains. And here he is now holding on to his first copy of God's word. What a thrill.
The reason I share all that with you is to, to share uh, the larger perspective. If you go to the next slide, you'll see that this is the passion of New Tribes Mission. In 1942, Paul Fleming, the founder of New Tribes, had gone to Malaysia. He was gripped with the reality of all these unreached people groups hidden in the jungles that will never hear the gospel while soldiers were being sent across the world to fight for freedom. There were all these lost people groups hidden in darkness who would fight for their spiritual freedom. But he, he came back and he was racked with malaria. The doctor said, if you go back to Malaysia, you'll die. But God used that. And Paul Fleming began to preach across North America. And he said, it's God plus nothing. Who's with me? And, of course, there's a need for training and all that. But the whole thing that God equips those he calls. In fact, my mother was challenged by a simple statement. The only ability God requires is availability. Isn't that awesome? The only ability God requires is availability. And so God began to raise up a team of missionaries in 1942, and now New Tribes is one of the largest faith-based church-planning organizations with over 3,000 missionaries across the world, South America, Africa, Southeast Asia, South Pacific, all working in some of the hardest places to reach. Some people have said it's like the Green Beret of missions, you know, going where no man's gone before. But God is using it. But every 45 days, a people group is being reached with the gospel. About every 45 days, a new people group is being reached with the gospel. And I'm going to show you that here towards the end of the message. But here's my heart. Go to the next slide. I love this verse. It's become almost a life verse for me. It's what keeps me going every single day. In Matthew 24, 14, think about this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this. And look at the, the boldness, the authority within his words. This gospel of the kingdom. You see, folks, there's no other gospel. Acts 4.12 says there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we might be saved. There's no other name. It's this gospel and it must be preached. Paul says in Romans 10, you've been going through the community Bible experience, right? You just read Romans. Um, and in Romans 10.14, Romans 10.12, sorry. How can they hear unless someone preach and how can they preach unless they be sent? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in some of the world. Is that what it says? In all the world as a witness to some of the nations. No, to all the nations. And that word nation is so key. It literally means ethnos. That's where we get our word ethnics. It means people groups. Not just a mass body of people. Not just political boundaries that we see in our world today. But people groups. So we're going to look at that here in a moment. A witness to all the nations, all the people groups. In fact, as you read through your community Bible experience, most of the time throughout the New Testament... 27 times when you see the word Gentiles or heathen or nations in in Romans alone, it means ethnos. It's people groups. As you you continue to read, check that out. So I can go back one second. Here's the key. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, all the ethnos, and then the end might come. Praise God it doesn't say that. And then the end will come. Brothers and sisters, if this is Christ's passion, this should be our passion. I don't know about you, but as I look at the world, world today, I'm ready for Jesus to come back. And Jesus said, when this is done, the end will come. But we've got a job to do. And in one minute, I want to take you on a quick overview of Scripture. Next slide here. You'll see that throughout history, God created the world. You'll see that in the next uh, picture here. God created the world. He filled it with people. And then he gave a charge to Adam and Eve. He said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was God's passion, to fill the earth with people. The same mandate to Noah, right? After the flood, mankind sinned. God began again through Noah. 
Almost the exact same thing. In fact, three times he says to Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. God's heart was to fill his creation with people of all kinds. And then, of course, mankind's sin, and you won't see the picture there, but the Tower of Babel, when man decided to forget going throughout the whole world, we want to make a name for ourselves, lest we be scared, let's build a tower to heaven. And God confused them with languages, and man, did he do a good job. And look at all the languages in the world today. And God scattered them throughout the nations of the world, all across the globe. And then God raises up one man, Abraham. And God says to Abraham, through your seed, meaning Jesus, all nations. Same word as that Greek word, ethnos. All nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In fact, in Romans, you can look that in your recent reading. Again, in Romans, it says, Abraham believed in faith that one day through his seed, meaning Jesus, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so we fast forward. Jesus comes on the scene. It's almost Christmas time here. We all know the verse. The angels come and they pronounce, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. Guess what that word is? Ethnos. Good tidings for all people groups. And then you go fast forward to uh, the disciples when Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, ethnos, people groups. This is God's heart. Now fast forward to uh, Revelation 5, 7, and 7, 9. You see this scene in heaven. And John is writing, And behold, I looked, and I saw some from every tongue and tribe and nation, ethnos, people groups. This is what you and I get to be a part of, to see some from every people group represented around God's throne. So how are we doing? Let's take a look here. Jesus, John Stott said, his authority on earth allows us to dare to go to all the nations. It's his authority in heaven that gives us our only hope of success. I guarantee if Jesus said it, it's going to be done. And the end will come. And I, but this verse here, a prophetic verse in Psalm chapter 2, has really encouraged me of late. I don't know about you, but when you look around the world and you see what's happening on the media, you know, when last year or so when Russia... Without the world being able to stop them, they moved into Ukraine and took over Crimea. And now you see ISIS marching across Syria. You know, I'm so glad God's never up in heaven going, oh my goodness, I never saw that coming. You know, why didn't somebody warn me? Psalm chapter 2 says, it's a prophetic psalm. It says, why do the nations rage and the heathen imagine a vain thing? It goes on to say, they set themselves up against God and his anointed. But then it says, but he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. God's not taken aback. He's not in shock by any of this. In fact, he's moving all the nations, all the, all the kingdoms of the world for this one purpose, that one day Jesus would be the name above all names. And so it says, this prophetic psalm, the final verse, it's like a conversation in eternity past where the father is talking to the son. And the father says to the son, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. The next verse in Galatians, uh, the next slide, you'll see that I think it's so cool how Galatians 4.4 4 says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. It's like the stage was perfectly set. Why had God wait for thousands of years to finally send Jesus? I don't know why he did that. But yet, I know that the Greeks had conquered culturally. The Romans had conquered militarily. Road systems all across Europe by which the gospel could spread. One main language. And so it spread rapidly. It's like God had the stage perfectly set. But if that was the case then, now 2,000 years later, here we are. We have roadways in the sky, internet, satellite, radio, television, by which the whole world has become a global community, and we can reach those from the four corners of the earth. In fact, they're now coming to us. 
Toronto is now the largest multicultural city in the world. 300 languages spoken in southern Ontario. The number of people groups represented in Canada's border, we are number five on the world stage as far as the number of people groups living within our borders. God is bringing them to us. Perhaps why? Look at this verse. This wraps up everything I'm trying to say. Acts 17, 26 to 27. Let's read this together because I want you to get this. Are you ready? From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. What a powerful, amazing, sovereign verse. You know, when you and I tend to run with our tails between our legs, saying, oh, no, the world is out of control. You know, it's all falling apart. No, brothers and sisters, the pieces are falling into place. It is God who determines the boundaries of the lands that men might seek him. Is there a reason why he's bringing the nations to us so that we as the body of Christ, you know, who many of us have refused to go, and yet many are still going, but yet now they're right, they become our neighbors. The opportunity is huge. So how are we doing? The next slide you'll see, there's about 6,912 living languages in the world today. You see Papua New Guinea down the right-hand corner, solid red. It's about 1,500 language groups just between Erie and Jaya and Papua New Guinea. It's amazing. But these are all living languages. Now let's look at this. How many of these languages have, have the scriptures? Well, about 375 have portions. The whole Bible, only 518. We have 100 versions of the English Bible, just in, just in the English language. 518 have the whole Bible. About 2,000 have the New Testament. In progress, about 2,000. Since about 1970, the translation chart's gone parabolic. About two translations being completed every single day. It's amazing. About 2,000 still need God's word. In fact, if you go to the next slide, you'll see that these are the people that New Tri's mission is targeting. Those who don't even have one word of God in their language, and they'll never get it unless somebody gives up their life to go and learn the language and learn the culture, live amongst them like my parents, and like 3,000 other missionaries are doing around the world. But we can complete this task. I want to show you here in the next few minutes, if you go to the next slide, we'll kind of go quickly through this. But I just took a smattering of the people groups that we're working amongst, You'll probably never hear their names. You've probably never, never heard them yet. You might never hear them again. They won't be on national television. Remote tribal groups from Africa to South America to South Pacific. But I want to share with you what God is doing so that you can praise God with us. We're going to go quickly through this, if you can click for me. But I just want you to be able to see the names. The North Wagi in Papua New Guinea, the gospel was presented in 2012. Now let me just set the stage for that. What I mean by that, the missionaries have already learned the language and the culture. They're living amongst them. They're creating Bible lessons. They're now beginning to teach from creation to Christ. That's often like a five to ten year process just to get to that place. But then they present the gospel. Again, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and a church is born. So that's what I mean by uh, the, the gospel is presented. Because typically that's when the very first expressions of faith amongst that people group take place. So in 2012, the North Wagi heard in New Guinea. Go ahead. We'll flick through it quickly here. Uh, Palawano Philippines in 2012 they heard the gospel next one Tagbanwan the Philippines again another tribal group next the BM Island people in Papua New Guinea now a thriving church amongst them the Deni in West Brazil there's now a church amongst those people um, the Badiaranke this is the Muslim tribal group um, and now there's believers amongst them. Look at the next slide. You'll see what this one man um, had to say. When I get home from the field and I get cleaned up, I sit down and I read God's word. We've been so deceived. It's like we've been in the bottom of a pit and then buried in it so we could never get out of it. But God's word is slowly lifting us out of this pit and he's opening our eyes. A Muslim man who now knows Christ. Uh, next slide. Uh, the pile in New Guinea. See the long beads there? 
as he's helping them understand the history of the world. The next one. Keep going here. The Kedwangan in Asia Pacific. That's in Indonesia. Gospel presented. The Korah, they believe every time, a, as soon as a young girl becomes a woman uh, at puberty, every woman is possessed by an evil spirit. So I guarantee anything bad that happens in that village, who is it blamed on? The woman. Often will dispose of them very easily because they're possessed by an evil spirit. But God is now changing their hearts. The Nagi, this old man, while they're teaching through the law in the Old Testament, and he said, I'm like that dead tree over there. That's what I'm like. But I know the missionaries have come to give a message of life. And now he's a believer, having heard the gospel. The Nawa in Mexico, 2015, the gospel presented. Next one. The Yao in Mozambique, again, a Muslim tribal group. Now look at this. These are translations that are completed. Uh, the first uh, scriptures in their languages. Again, we'll go quickly. Yembi, Yembi, New Guinea. The Siawe. Linda Craig was an old lady when I was a kid. Uh, at least to me she was, and she's still there. She's almost going blind, but she would not leave until the New Testament was published in 2013. The Hamtai. Tom and Kareen Palmer worked closely to my parents. He was, again, I thought he was old then. But at 70 years of age, the Hamtai people said, our language has kind of changed. It's no different than English. It kind of evolves. Would you mind doing it over again? So at 70, they re-edited the whole scriptures. And finally, at 80 years old, they came uh, on furlough and, and left the work. At 80 years old. He had been in New Guinea from the time he was 16. Amazing. The Palawano in Philippines now have the New Testament. Next one. The Boudic, again, a Muslim tribal group in West Africa. They have God's word. The Wake in New Guinea. Malu, Papua New Guinea. Waipay, East Brazil. Talk about dedication here. About 3,000 people. The National Missionaries finished off that one. The Baduigo in New Guinea. The Mako in Venezuela just recently. There's Kabia from the Dome. What a thrill to see him have the word of God. This gospel of the kingdom, it will be preached in all nations, all ethnos, and then the end will come. And we get to be a part of that, brothers and sisters. And yet, at the same time, New Transmission has received over 100 letters. Here's a people group that couldn't write. So somebody else wrote their names, and they stuck their fingerprints on there, saying, we're asking for a missionary. In the next slide, you'll see uh, this man named Eric Kasoa. He said, I'm speaking for my people again. I'm writing for the seventh time to ask if you'll come to my village or not. If you're willing to come, then please, in the name of Jesus. We want someone to really come and learn our language. We're continuing to demand this. The people are saying you must come. I'm saying it again. I think you all didn't get my first six letters. If not, all right, now's my seventh letter. I'm writing again. It really must bear fruit. The people are truly crying for missionary and for God's talk. Plenty of my letters asking for missionaries are wasted. A man who's still waiting for God's word to come to his people. Here's one more slide here. I heard this story recently and I was so gripped by it. The Iski people were begging for years for missionaries. In fact, they sent out three men. They hiked over the mountains to where there was a, a work by New Tri's mission. And they said, we, you, this isn't, and, you know, we, you, you have the word of God and you're teaching these people. Uh, we don't have anybody. Can you please send someone? And our missionaries had to say, there's no one to send you right now. Well, they said, well, then we're going to stay here. We're going to stay here. We're going to try and learn this language as best we can. It was close. And we're going to try and then we're going to take the message back to our people. 
But as they sat there, they're like, well, this, this is no good. There's no way we can ever take all this and share it with them. So we're going to go convince our people to move over the mountains. They literally went back, convinced 300 of their tribal people to leave their homes and their gardens because we have a message you need to hear. They hiked over the mountains, and they moved in, but it was a failed project. I mean, again, it's hard for us to learn another language, right, let alone with all our skills and computers and everything. And they were so discouraged, and they kind of gave up hope. Until the Callahans from Ireland and two American families moved in amongst the Isky people. We now have missionaries there. Their prayers have been answered. And they're learning the language and they're looking forward to presenting the gospel. But even as they began to set up amongst the Isky people, this man with the missing finger hiked out of the jungle. Now, it's not uncommon in the cultures there when something that grips you, some pain, some, you know, some loss of life, a family member, a loved one, they'll cut off their finger to show their grief. It's just the greatest expression of showing your pain. And so it wasn't uncommon to see that he had no finger. But as he came out, he said, I'm begging for you. This is no fair. You have three families, three missionary families. We don't even have one. He pulled out a machete and with serious intent, he said, I'll cut off one of my fingers right now if you'll send us a missionary. Brothers and sisters, how many of us would give a finger in order to get God's word? Pray for that tribe. Again, there's still no one to send them. Pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers. The needs are so great. But Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. We have a video there at the back. It's an Awayo DVD. There's a small coupon if you want this. There's about 12 videos on here. But Awayo, uh, your pastor met Tim yesterday. He's our director. Fifteen years ago, they moved into Awayo's tribe, the Moy, in the mountains of Indonesia. You see a church there now that's thriving. In fact, a third of that tribe has come to Christ. But a while on this video, this feature video on here, tells a story of how when Tim and his colleague first jumped out of a helicopter, this tribe was totally undiscovered. Even the Indonesian government did not, did not know they existed. That was 15 years ago. Now a third of the tribe has come to Christ, and they're sending out their own missionaries. Pray with us. If God lays it on your heart, you know, there's, there's ways to get involved. Uh, I was talking with, with uh, some folks just before the service about short-term mission trips. But we have, whether it's associate or whether going long-term, maybe there's young people here who will say, maybe, God, could you use me? Maybe there's old people who are saying, God, could I be the answer for that man with only one, with missing a finger? Could I be the answer for them just like my parents were the answer for the dome and the Callahans were the answer for the Isky? Could I be the one to be trained and sent out? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Praise God. Pastor, do you want to come? I knew you thought we had a few minutes here. We could chat. Jeepers. I'm ready to quit (laughs) and go. Hey, do you guys have any questions for Martin? I'm I'm putting you on the spot. We haven't had a question and answer for a while. Brad, you got shoot it out nice and loud. Yeah, it's a very good question. What do you do if you have the heart to go, and yet, you know, you just seem like there's so many barriers and challenges? Um, first of all, I, I do think that's the first place. 
saying, God, here am I, send me. Like I said, my mother being challenged, you know, the only ability God requires is availability. But that's why New Tries Mission exists and some other organizations too. But it begins with a phone call. It begins with conversations with your church. Everything NTM does is in, is in total partnership with the local church. It's all about the church. New Tries Mission will have no mention in glory. It'll be all about the bride and the son. And so if you want to begin the conversation, um, because we have a training center that equips people, and we equip them well, while there's many organizations that somehow do it within a couple of weeks, our training program is 18 months. But it takes a lot of equipping. It's an amazing campus there in southern Ontario where actually your kids, we have an academy, so your kids go to school while you're going through training. The academy is right there on the base. So we, we take care of the whole family. So it begins with a conversation. And there will be challenges. I guarantee you Satan does not want you to. And um, for the moment you say, here am I, send me, Satan's going to be like, no, you don't. And he's going to bring in all kinds of challenges. And, yes, there's the support raising challenges of raising up a support team. But I can tell you over and over again how God has been faithful to raise the support, the financial support of people who are willing to go. And we train you and equip you how to do that as well. And it seems to me they've got a pretty great church here who might get behind you. You know, and what a thrill, Pastor, if someone from here wants to, is saying, God, here am I, send me. And so, you know, begin to ask the questions. And, yeah, there are, just like anything, though, whether you're going to give your life to being a builder or a teacher, you have to be equipped first, right? And so we have to have a long-term perspective. It's not going to happen overnight. And so let me just encourage you that, too. There, you know, um, to be equipped takes time and resources. Uh, if you're going to be a church planter specifically, you need to have some Bible education. We have two Bible schools by which we do that. And they're great as well. So begin to ask the questions. We can talk more after the service, too. Um, and we have a great guy at our headquarters who, if, as soon as I put you in touch with him, he won't leave you alone. He, he, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, good question. Yes. That is a great question. We are so excited about this. Um, we haven't up until the last couple of years, but um, our heart has been growing. It seems like God is leading us towards that. A number of things. We now have a missionary who's come on furlough. He reached the whole tribal group in New Guinea, but he's got a heart for First Nations. He's working in North Battlefield area, Saskatchewan. He's training up leaders who are so excited. They're like, because the whole thing is, this, these whole principles that we use with primitive tribal people, they work with First Nations as well. Very much the same kind of thinking. Animists, they worship the spirits. And so the, um, we're redesigning a whole um, discipleship tool from creation to Christ for the First Nations. Meanwhile, Northern Canada Evangelical Mission, which is one of the largest organizations working with First Nations, they're getting older. They have some challenges. They asked us if they could be amalgamated unto NTM. They've already started sending their missionaries through our training. And rather than amalgamation, we've decided that we're going to join. A, we, we just decided, just this month, actually, to form a joint partnership called First Story, linking the very first story from Genesis, you know, the creation to Christ, with the First Nations. And so we've just begun a partnership with NCM called First Story. We're actually looking for people who want to work with First Nations, and so we can talk more about that, too. So pray for us with that. The need is great, but Canadians, you know, the Canadian church sees the need. In fact, much of, it's done very, much of the outreach, sadly, has been done very badly. There's a lot of syncretism, a mixture of beliefs amongst them. A lot of them, they might say they're Christians, but they're confused. And so that, that, that teaching, taking the time to teach from creation to Christ is so important. And some of these elders and chiefs are already really embracing it. So we can talk more about that, too. Yes.
Yeah, that's a good ver- Yeah, I'll repeat the question. So when you see the change in culture, how much is this, you know, church planting affecting the culture? Um, it's a very good question. Um, I can tell you that some people that are totally against, of course, mostly not Christians, who are against us going in because we're going to wreck the cultures. But just ask these people. Were they happy before the gospel came in? No, they lived in perpetual fear. I remember a chief from the Fiji Islands who actually was being interviewed by someone who was against Christianity and he said to this man, you, you better count your lucky stars that we believe in Jesus. Because we, we used to be cannibals. We were headhunters. By now, your head would already be smashed on that rock over there. And so it's that kind of thinking. I mean, the Moy people, get this, they've never had a bath in their lives. They live in fear of the spirits. Water, spirits live in the water. So women, when they're, when they're having childbirth, will never drink. Because they believe they might get possessed by an evil spirit. They suck sugar cane. They eat papaya. But that's why they're often, you know, babies are stillborn. I mean, it affects their whole lives. And so the gospel comes along and sets them free. But like we shared, and your pastor was there yesterday at a missions forum. When we go in, you don't ignore the culture. It's a reality. It's their whole way of thinking. You don't attack the culture either. You apply the truth of God's word to the culture. And the people on their own begin to decide what is of, the, of God and what is of the devil. They begin to decide for themselves. There's parts of the culture that they keep. It's so cool, a communion service. You know, amongst the Moy people, you know, we, ours are all somber, nice little cups. We don't, bring a, we don't fly in plastic cups and bread. They don't even know what bread is. So they all, you know, they, well, what do you got? Well, you got some sweet potato. Oh, you got, you got an old but half-eaten banana. You know, and so they, they break it all up and they share it. And it's beautiful. It's cultural. You know, the baptism service, it's not like, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, and dunk. You know, these people, have, they've never been underwater before. The, the, the husbands baptize their wives, and they're like this, honestly. They're like, are you ready? She's like, you know, because this is like, talk, talk about fear, freedom from bondage. You know, the, the, these were evil spirits, but now Jesus has set them free. And they're like, one, two, three, and they shove them. And every, they come out, and everybody's cheering because they're still alive. You know, and, you know so, so it's a very good question, and I can share you all kinds of analogies, but how the Spirit of God... Not all culture is of the devil. Some of it is. I mean, the fact that they, um, with the Moy people, when a woman has twins, they're like, you stupid woman, you drank some water. They scold her for it, and without even a thought, they will stomp the life out of the healthy twin because they believe it's the evil spirit eating the weaker one. Now, you want to tell me that we want to keep that part of the culture? No, and so it's, it's, it's the Spirit of God that decides what is beautiful in cultures because God has designed all kinds of cultures. And I think we're going to see that expression in glory. But, yeah, it's a very good question. So we, we don't come in enforcing Western culture. There's a tribe in South America. Believe it or not, I, I found this hard to believe. The missionary said they have no idea of songs. They have no instruments. So remote, they don't have one instrument, and they've never sung a tune in their life. And so if you try and come in and teach them how to sing, it sounds awful. You know, they've never sung. But as they began to read God's word and they saw songs and psalms, you know what they said? We don't have any songs like you guys have. Do you think it would be okay if we just kind of wrote our own songs and sang God's word back to him? Misha was like, yeah. (laughs) And that's what they did. They began to, their own cultural expression, their own hymns began to come forth. Not because they were Western hymns, because they were birthed by the Holy Spirit. Anyway, really good questions. And not always easy. Some of them are hard challenges. So, yep.
and sometimes it's all the above. Um, yeah, like I said, um, when Tim Watley met the Moy people, it literally was jumping out of a helicopter. If you hear him tell the story, the helicopter couldn't even land. They had this great plan. We'll land. We'll open the door. If they seem friendly, we'll poke our heads out. If not, we'll close the door and get back in the plane. The problem is it's so remote and the jungle so so intense. When they came to land, the, the helicopter foot caught in like a Y branch. And the, 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 the pilot was actually saying, okay, all I need is like there's so many trees here. Just give me one foot on both sides of the propellers. So Steve was out one side of the window and Tim out the other. Just make sure I have one foot. I mean, can you imagine that as the rotors are turning? And then I got, he said, you got to jump. We're five feet off the ground. You're going to have to jump. But meanwhile, five, 12 Moy warriors surround them with bows and arrows. I mean, and they, they were jumping into it. When the helicopter lifted off, Tim said, I felt like I missed the rapture. And there they were standing there. You know, so that's, a, that's an intense story. And God opened the door. It was amazing. Um, let me just tell you this. It's like since the Tower of Babel, God put in their word a language that brought immediate peace. They didn't know what it meant. But these Mori warriors to this day have no idea why they, they laid down their bows and arrows. Um, because they were killing people. Many of them have murdered their wives and others. But they laid down their bows and arrows and they came forward and they began to click knuckles. We shake hands, they click knuckles like this. So they click knuckles, which is a sign of friendship. And they began to say, Abba, Abba, Abba. Well, they had no idea what that meant in their language, but we know what Abba means. Abba, Father. It's like, God, this is, are you serious? This is their greeting? You are right here. And that was the very first. Now, Abba actually means, in their language, you're like dirt to me. <laughs> in other words, you're, you're not a threat. And so Tim and, Tim and Steve are going, Abba, 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 <laughs> clicking knuckles. Anyway, and they began, finally, after a few days, they learned the magical phrase, what is it? And once they, once they got that, they began to write down more of their phrases down. And they began from scratch. For my parents to answer that question, they knew the trade language. They, they learned that first. And many of the people, even though you want to learn their heart language, they began with the trade language. And because there's a town nearby, there was already influence from the government. And so even though they're very primitive, they're familiar with the outside world. And so my parents, and it's a very friendly part of Papua New Guinea. They were actually quite happy to have their own missionary. They felt quite proud. You know, nobody else gets them, but you're coming here. And so um, now there's things that are very hostile. I remember growing up as a little boy seeing tribal fights with their bows and arrows, volleys of arrows flying across the sky, but they never, they never touched us. We were, the, we were the white people. They were happy to have us. But um, sometimes there were some pretty intense situations. But, you know, God works you through that. I'm still here. So anyway, good questions. Yeah. Hey, you know, I know there's more questions, so I encourage you to talk to Martin. And uh, this can be an ongoing conversation. By no means does the conversation end today. And so uh, would you join with me? Would you stand as we close today? Let's pray. Let's pray for the work that's being done. Let's pray for the call that has gone out here this morning, that we would hear the call to be part of God's global mission. There are some of us that are feeling the heart call to go. There's some of us that are wondering what this means. There's some of us that want to just open up our checkbook now. And all of those are ways that we partner in what God's doing. Let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you gave your son Jesus to come and to bring us back to life. And I ask that this morning as your word is spoken, as we have been challenged to be uh, part of your mission of reaching unchurched, unreached people groups that don't know you, have never experienced love and freedom and forgiveness. And I, I just ask that we as the Erickson Covenant Church would be ignited by this that we would answer your call and that we would be a sending community, that we'd be a going community. 
And uh, I just pray that you continue to bless the work of New Tribes Mission, uh, Martin, Tim, and, and many others, these 3,000 missionary families around the world, that you would just pour out your blessing on them, that we would see more ethnos come to know your powerful and transforming love. We bless you and thank you for your work among us and through us in the world. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. We have coffee time now, of course. We encourage you to talk to Martin as well as uh, you may have missed signing up for a Congo kid last week. Go ahead and do that. God bless you.